Hey guys, it's Kelly and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken podcast. So I have a very special guest today. He is the host of the Truth That Heals podcast and he's also a very good friend of mine. His name is Ryan and he is here to share his story about religious abuse and other things like that. So I'm going to start off by putting a trigger warning and saying that anyone that has gone through any kind of ritualistic abuse or religious abuse, this episode may have some details that would be triggering. So just wanted to give everyone a heads up, but I hope everyone gives a very warm welcome to Ryan. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for inviting me and welcoming me me so warmly onto your show. Well, thank you so much for coming on, even though you ditched me to go to Dublin. (laughs) I was doing, I was doing research. Okay. (laughs) but totally forgot to get me a t-shirt okay i have to go back i'll go back (laughs) i'll go back to ireland and i'll get you i'll get you two t-shirts that works for me (laughs) so how are you doing today i'm doing great i feel that my life has really is going uphill right now it's really it's a lot brighter today than what it was a year, two years, three years ago. So I'll, I'll accept this brightness in my life. Yeah. Trust me. I totally get that. It's like, I just celebrated 13 years since my escape from the sex trafficking. And it's like, even like three years ago, my life was so different than it is now. And it's just, it's like surreal to look back at all the years and see like exactly how much I've grown. And I'm sure you experienced the same kind of things. Well, when I, when I first left my religious community slash cult, I didn't want to acknowledge that bad things happened there. And so I was living my life kind of with this like dirt hidden under the rug, pretending, pretending that it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And then just over the years, it just kept bothering me and bugging me. And so I, I feel that my healing journey has only really been like the last three years, but I've been physically out of the community for about seven years now. Oh, that's good. That's a long time. Goes by quick though, doesn't it? At first, no. The first year after I left, I was in so much depression. I would stay in my room, locked up, you know, the the blinds all closed, uh, just in the corner, hoping that the world would end or that maybe I would just die and there would be no more more pain. Mm -hmm. Because although I tried to pretend that I was fine, I I was suffering so much emotionally at that time. Yeah. But then but then things got better eventually, yeah. Yeah, I felt like for a long time like I was just suffering in silence. And it was like I never felt really comfortable about talking about what happened or even like you said acknowledging that it was bad. And eventually I just shared my story for the first time, and that was in the end of 2019, and now I hear I am three years later and have a podcast and TikTok, and I just can't shut up about it. (laughs) Well, people, I think they relate to hearing the the survivor stories of others, 
Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me. I started hearing survivor st- stories of other cult abuse uh, survivors. And when I heard their stories, I was like, whoa, dang, that's what I went through. And I couldn't deny anymore yeah. that I was going through abuse. And I know that's why I started my podcast was for that reason. And I'm, isn't that what you're doing with your podcast too, to kind of spread awareness and help other survivors break out of their shells? Well, when I started doing the podcast, the intention was, well, first of all, many so-called friends who I I had reached out to and told them that, hey, I'm going through this depression or, hey, I'm going through this suffering because of the abuse I experienced from the church community that I was in. Many were like, I don't want to hear it and you're making it up. Or it's like... Mm -hmm. um, you're not a true Christian. You're supposed to follow, you're supposed to carry your cross and you're, you're supposed to suffer, suffer for Christ. So if you're complaining, I don't want to hear it. Wow. So getting told it it was either I got told that or their body language was telling me, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And, and so I had no, besides my family, they, my family were open to hearing my story, but it was just so awkward. Yeah. But then so I did do the podcast more as my I started it more to kind of uh allow people to hear my story. I mm. wanted to take control of my narrative because they probably have all these narratives of me and you know people gossip and they don't know the true mm-hmm. story. So I was like, you know what? F this, I want my story to be out there. And yeah. when I started taking control of my life and my own narrative and acknowledging that bad things happened a lot of those friends and a lot of other people whom whom I don't know I guess they were like forced to listen and and be like oh yeah sorry there 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 really was a problem So, so as people are hearing my podcast it's like you're hearing my healing progress in real time yeah so like the, the first episodes are like a testimonial of what I saw, what I went through, my depression. And it's been like a year since I've been doing it, or, or almost a year. So hopefully you see my progress. And then over time, I I become more extroverted and I'm inviting guests over and it's mm-hmm. still it's still formulating, but it's it's out there. Yeah, it's like working the kinks out. I know I've had some constructive criticism um like in my first episodes I always added music but it was it was like a security blanket thing like I didn't just want to hear my voice I scripted out most of the episodes and now I just pull out my microphone and just talk about whatever comes to my mind and then I'm like oh crap I've been talking for 45 minutes I might want to end this but, but hey, it, if the script helps, you know, if it if the script helps you, yeah, or or helps others to start, then mm-hmm. it, it's like training wheels. And then once you're comfortable, it's like like you were saying, forty five minutes in, you're yeah. <laughs> well, it's like sometimes, like, well, I have one friend, and I love her to death, and it takes her thirty six minutes to get to work. And she only knows that because of an episode I did that was 36 minutes long. So she's like, can you keep it at 36 minutes? I'm like, yeah, sure. I will totally 
make my episode surrounding your drive to work. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, and it is, it's, I love having guests on, especially ones that are going through healing processes because it's, I mean, I have my healing process and some people may use the techniques and things that I do, but some, it doesn't really work for them. And I know I've been having a lot of people messaging me about ritualistic and religious abuse, which I hate saying fortunately for me, but I, that's not something I ever really experienced. So that was why I kind of hunted you down on Twitter and was like, Hey, get on my podcast. So other people that have been going through it can hear it from somebody else. So um, did you want to talk a little bit about your story? Yeah. um, I wanted to start by kind of uh, helping the audience to get this picture of a young boy. Well, I was a a teenager. And even as a young boy, I always had this great love for God, for Christ. Um, I would, I always enjoyed praying, you know, going to youth, youth ministries. And in Los Angeles, where I'm originally from, I would grow, I would go with the, um, with one of the ministries in LA and we would gather clothes from the community and food we'd help prepare like sandwiches and we give it out every first of the month or every like first Friday first Saturday of the month we'd give it out it didn't matter if they were Christian or not we just wanted to do something and so I always had this like love for God love for people you know respecting others even if they weren't Catholic I grew up like that Mm -hmm. and then when I was 17 or 16 I got approached by a priest from a certain community and he he was like, come join us. God is calling you. He's like, and, and this is where like the culty part, kind of the culty part of the story comes in Mm -hmm. because I thought that he was a real good priest. I thought he was like super holy. Uh, But later on, I found out that he was actually a molester. Mm -hmm. And so, but I didn't know this until like maybe two years ago, but when he when he was telling me I see God is calling you I left high school I was still in high school and I joined this religious community which I thought was in I thought it was legit like an extension of the church uh yeah I'll I'll give an example like for those who who may know um there there are there are groups like Franciscan Jesuits and they have they have different roles to play like yeah. the Franciscans, like they, I think they take care more of like the poor and the Jesuits. I don't know what they do. I'm not sure what they, I know I they have like a bunch do. of schools. They have like yeah. a bunch of schools. And so each group has like different missions. And the mission of the group that I was in was to help uh, families stay together, like to help avoid divorce. We help them or like for like tutoring for like, let's say the poorest kids. Mm-hmm. instead of instead of charging so I really like that and I was drawn to that but once I was in um it's it became more like a military and for religious orders you have you have vows so there are vows like chastity poverty and obedience but because they took things to an extreme yeah where it, it was culty that they would abuse especially obedience so I'll, I'll give an example. I actually, I didn't do this, 
but I know survivors who did, they would call it the fourth degree. And in cults, sometimes they have like code names mm-hmm. for certain things where people won't know w- what we're talking about. But the, the code for a, a particular task you had to do was uh, fourth degree. Now, fourth degree, when they would tell you or when they would tell these survivors, obedient, your obedience for the day is to do a fourth degree. So that would mean that, so the idea behind fourth degree is this. If you love God, you should be willing to suffer whatever it is mm-hmm. to prove that you love God. If you love the church, you should be able to shed your blood or whatever. And so fourth degree, they would, it, it bugs me even saying it years later, but members would have to eat their own feces as obedience or to make it even worse. It's, they would call, they would have, a, they would have this term, a benefactor. Mm-hmm. Benefactor is when someone else defecates and he or she gives that to the person to eat it. And because if you love God and you love your vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience, you have to do this. And our founder, whose name is Father Bing, he would always tell us, if you go against obedience, it's a sin. You're going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. You're, you're bound. And so it was like many members were chained and they couldn't say, I, I disagree with this. Because if they did, it was, they would be open to getting shamed. It's like, oh, you're, yeah, you're, you're shooting your, it's, it's totally, it's totally messed up because of course it, we know it's disgusting, but then it's like, oh, if you don't do it, then I guess you don't love Christ. I guess you're an enemy. Mm-hmm. You're an enemy of Jesus. And it's like, like for me, I enter this group because I love, I love my faith and I love Christ. And I'm sure that these survivors who had to do it, uh, they loved. Uh, yeah, and they it's loved like doing good things. It's like preying on your weakness, you know. What, even though not like loving Christ isn't a weakness, but using but it, it in that way, yeah. And one of the survivors was telling me that um, uh, there were people who who would take pictures. They would take pictures. Someone what is someone was assigned to take pictures. And he was telling me that, and I know people might say, oh, this is hearsay, that um, anyways, he was saying that he would see members, you know, crying, having feces in their mouth and with their mouth open. And I know one of the survivors, because he mentioned a name of someone he saw in the picture. So I asked that person, hey, do you remember anything about, you know, what happened? And the survivor was telling me that, yeah, they were taking pictures. And so for me, that was proof. And I asked him, why were they taking pictures? And his response was, uh, Father Bing and the superiors, what they wanted to do is to break the person mm-hmm. and, and to humble and humiliate. Exactly. And, and I asked him, so, but why did you do it? Well, I asked, well, two of them reached out to me. One said, he reached out to me anonymously, but he was saying that he did it because he felt that by doing it he's showing his love for christ because that's what they taught him now were and, they ordered to take the pictures or they just did it themselves no i'm, I'm guessing that someone was assigned by the 
superior. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't there, but I, the way, since I lived with them for 11 years, the way it would be, because you can't do anything without obedience from a mm-hmm. higher superior. Like you're really a robot, like the Terminator, you can't move. So I'm, but the way it would have probably gone down is Father Bing or whoever the superior was in the room would have designated, assigned someone and said, hey, you're going get, to go get the camera. We need to take pictures of this. And, and, and that's how it would be. Because like, the, the abuse that I went through was I, I'd get beaten with, we had, we had like these special whips that we used to either whip ourselves as like a self uh, redemption kind of thing for all of our, because everything we do is a sin, no matter how good you try to be, you're sinful. And so we have to beat ourselves. My back would always be bloody. I'm always beating myself. Or someone would have to whip you. So, mm-hmm. and when they would, when they would whip me, they would have to assign, you know, someone to, to get the whips and, and to do it. So with the camera, uh, going back to that, I think that they would assign someone. Yeah. And, and the survivor who I was talking to was telling me that he felt that they were just like, kind of like a, like a fraternity, just trying mm-hmm. to break him and kind of bully him and, he didn't want it to mess with his head, but he still did it. Yeah. I think it's but- a lot is to add shame too. And I know that they use videos and pictures for victims as well as clients and sex trafficking. And it's like to keep them quiet, they like they threaten to release them to the public and you'll do anything to avoid that picture. I never thought about that, but yeah, that, yeah that's a scary a scary thing now that i'm i'm hearing you and and there are so many like i had i had a few members telling me that they were given that obedience to do it every day during lent and and that's if if you know about lent that's 40 days of, yeah i know what lent is of of eating feces and i don't know even though i didn't get it you know i was always warned this could happen to you too Mm-hmm. and so that kind of kept me in a fear of ever leaving this this community that I was in so for anybody that doesn't like really know the Catholic faith Lent is right before Easter and you're supposed to fast because and it goes off um, right before Jesus was crucified he spent 40 days and 40 nights and it's like our version of that i don't think i was ever taught in catholic school that it involved what you did (laughs) well i i didn't do it but several did yeah and and there was always this fear that oh dang one of these days they're gonna tell me uh do do a fourth degree and and yeah. you know you you'd be compelled to because it's like like you you said it perfectly it's a shame thing if you don't do it it's like they're they're using that weakness oh like mm-hmm. you're not you're not you're not strong enough to carry the cross and follow Christ and so they would throw this like against you and like i said i didn't do it but even in other obediences like like getting whipped or like me sometimes i'd have to whip someone else and I didn't like it, but it's like, man, I'm helping this person go to heaven. So, yeah. So I, I, 
I'm doing him a solid by by beating him up but that was just how twisted it was and when I entered you know going back to that innocent teenager I had more intentions of doing good things yeah of helping people of showing God's love and then and then when they have you out in the public doing all these amazing things for the community it's like everything else like the bad stuff that happens behind closed doors it's like okay but I want to do all this other stuff but I have to do this in order to do that so it's just a complete like it's mind games and manipulation it was a mind games and many members including myself weren't allowed to see our family or if you if we would call our family it would have to be monitored there'd be someone standing next to you Mm-hmm. And you'd have to ask for money. Yeah. Like, if you're if you're just calling just to say, hey, what's the score in the the Yankees Dodger game? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be like, no, your time's up, you know, click. So it would have to be you you talk about uh getting them to send money. And the thing that frustrated me so much was that I would see other members go see their families and no hate to them. But I was really upset with the superiors because I know that those members who did have permission, their family would give a lot more money. Mm. And so I'm thinking like, hey, like, you know, my family, they gave me, you know, like, am and I worth more than money? You know, like, come on, like, why can I, why can I see my family? And I, I did everything that they told me to do in, in, you know, all the obedience that they, that they would give me, I would do it but yet I was never good enough. So they always, they always gaslighted me into thinking that I'm never good enough, that I'm a failure, that I'm toxic, that I'm a curse. And so they would keep me locked up in a chapel uh, alone for a year. And that sucked. I mean, but I, I couldn't complain because if I were to complain, then that's proof that I'm demonic to them because because i'm in the chapel so it's like and i did complain once and the younger sister was like just shocked she was like how can he be complaining he's he's praying all day in the chapel and i was like yeah but i'm by myself i'm locked up i can't do anything i i had to sneak in snacks behind like the statue of the blessed mother and it just it was like i don't want to do this i want to live i didn't sign up for this and yet they would throw it they would throw it in my face well these are your vows of obedience you're supposed to carry your cross you love jesus right so you have to like man up and just stick it out and i mean at at 17 years old how much do you exactly understand those vows well when i when i joined at 17 they kind of it was slow it was very slow but i stayed there for 11 years and over the years it would just intensify and get more i don't want to say uh crazy but yeah crazy because <laughs> it got more it got more crazy and it's, it's like the more they trusted you wouldn't go running the more they did like the more they had you under the like mind control essentially because i was very loyal because i really i really thought that this is the way to express my love for christ Mm-hmm. And like, you know, going back to the mind games, they knew I wasn't going to run. 
but I think that they underestimate underestimated me because they did it so much and then there were like so many beatings and then I was after I, I stayed a year in the chapel I did go out for a little bit and then I got in trouble for speaking for speaking up and so they put me in the in the basement we called it the end times dungeon oh wow our, our idea was that the world was going to end soon or there's going to be a nuclear holocaust so we had this end times dungeon where we had all this like stored food from like 2005 this is like around 2008 so i'm eating all this like expired food and i can't say anything so that was my that was a bit of my experience that's insane (laughs) sorry to use that word (laughs) just i can't imagine like so you slept in the chapel like you weren't allowed to leave at all i I, the only time i can leave i have to like ring the bell and get mm-hmm. permit, and someone would come and like relieve me or switch me out. You can't leave the chapel. No one can leave the chapel. So I take my I take my my break in the bathroom. I had to come right back, and then they will leave like my food like on the table, like far away that I can't reach it. So it's like, man, it really sucked. And you and weren't this, allowed to get up and grab it. I had to, I had to have someone come you know bring it closer because it's like it would be a sin. So I was really just wow. so brainwashed and when you're asking about sleeping so my sleeping I actually did sleep in the dormitory but my sleep schedule was from like 10 p.m and then they wake me up at 12 45 in the morning so it's like two and two hours and 45 minutes they wake me up and then I have to you know wash up drink my coffee and be in the chapel by 1 30 in the morning and be there until 10 p.m and every hour I gotta pray like a rosary and, you know, read a, read a Bible verse and write in my journal or read a book. But every hour I have to be doing like the same ritual, you know, rosary, read the Bible, uh, meditate hour after hour. Was there someone always watching or were you just sitting there doing it? Like I was doing it at first, but then after a while, I was like, man, I'm sorry, Jesus, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to like, you know, put my head, you know, next to, uh, you know, against the pew, but then there was this guilt because like they would say, or the founder, Father Bing, who for me, I mean, it's hard because I do love my faith, but then there are some evil bastards Mm -hmm. who have no business being a priest or being a nun or being a guidance counselor or whatever kingdom hall or, you know, pastors from any church. I don't care what church you belong to, but there are, there are some people who just have no business being in that position of taking care of of a flock of a community and so they would feed this mentality that if you fall asleep like he would say if you're sleeping in prayers it could be it could be two things either you are proud and because of your sin of pride god is punishing you with sleepiness or it's because of lust or you have impurities and he was saying, because the angels in heaven, you know, they're, they're so pure, you know, and they're adoring Christ all day. They're adoring God. So if, if you're, if you're falling asleep, if you're showing human weakness, that means that you're still like earthly. So for me, that's hella cultish. And that's like, oh, wow. now, now so that they, I'm. They were essentially expecting you to act like a false prophet. 
they're expecting me to act like a freaking angel, you know, and like yeah. not have human emotions. And they would even have a pamphlet where it says they're like, uh, like, like certain sins, a certain sin could be um, having a bad facial reaction to a superior. Like if they say, Hey, clean, uh, clean the bathroom. So you mean and like you, expression, not ex- like a rash expression was a sin. Okay. Or I thought react- you meant like getting a rash. I'm like, no, 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 no. how do you control that? <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> so they really, they really fed my, my mind with everything was a sin. So going mm-hmm. back to whether I slept, I would sleep, but then when I wake up, I have like this guilt and then this confusion. Cause it's like, well, why the hell am I here? It's like, I'm stuck here. It's my obedience. They say that if I do my obedience, I'm serving God. But then they say, if I fall asleep in prayer that I'm offending God, and it just didn't make sense. It was just totally, totally lost of reason. Yeah. And it became, like you said, insanity. Mm-hmm. And it's, it sounds honestly a lot like the sex trafficking, except it wasn't like if I didn't do this, I wasn't faithful to God. It was I was a shitty daughter or I wasn't a good kid or I was rebellious, but it was the same like mind fuck and getting you to think like if you don't act exactly the way that they want you to at the moments that they want you to that you're the problem not them doing all this horrible thing to kids but it was it was almost the same like the same kind of mind games well you you said it um they make you feel like you're the problem Mm -hmm. and on one I remember, I think it was 2000. I should know the year. It was, I think, 2014 or 13. My grandma died. And it's hard for me because she died on my birthday. Oh, and the God, o- I'm so the sorry. Only, uh, thank you. The only way I, find, I found out was because uh, one of my brothers called from L.A. And uh, a member from the community who's actually a good member. Because there were, there were bad people there, but there were also good people people there which is makes it more of a mind fuck but there was this good guy and he's like hey your brother's on the phone he'd like to talk to you cool i'm surprised that they gave me the phone because like they don't always game you know give you the phone but he was a good guy the brother and i spoke to uh to my brother and he was telling me um before he could even talk i just thanked him thank you for calling uh, it's been so long since I've seen you. At that time, it had been like about eight years since I had seen my brother. And yeah. I I had the thought that he was calling me to wish me a happy birthday. Oh, God. And, and he's like, I'm so sorry. But yeah, happy birthday. But um, just letting you know that grandma just died a few minutes ago. And it's just like oh, my mind, my body, my whole, my whole body and mind were just like spiraling down and I didn't I was paralyzed I didn't know what to do and I wanted to be with my family I wanted to pray with them cry with them but I can't do anything without permission so I spoke to the the superior my main superior and he threw it back to me and he was like making fun of me because I was crying Oh and my God. I explained to him, like, look, dude, like, 
I followed all of the things you commanded me to do. I stayed in the chapel for a year by myself, locked up. I didn't complain. I eat by myself. I'm, I've been isolated. I don't complain. I do whatever you want me to do. And all I'm asking is to see my family. I just want to be with my grandma. I haven't seen them in so long. And he, his response was, well, that's your fault. And so it was, it was another mind fuck because it's like, how, how is this my fault? I mean, I'm, yeah. So I, I reacted very negatively and I told him, look, I'm just asking for your damn permission to be with my family. And he said, okay, let's, let's do this. I'll talk to your family, which that's like a red flag right there. But I didn't see that red flag. Yeah. But he's like, I'll talk to your family and we'll see what we can arrange. So you can go to LA as soon as possible. And that shut me up. And I was so grateful that he had listened to me. And the next day he called me to his room. He's like, Hey, look, bro. Uh, I spoke to your family and they're saying that it's better that you stay here and pray for them. And I was like, my family said that I I'm pretty sure they wanted me to go to the funeral and be with them. It's like, look, you know, now it's, it's been a, it's been a day and they're, they're starting to realize that expenses are going to be very high and it'll be more uh, comfortable for everyone if you just stay here and pray for them. And my and guess is he never called your family. Well, you're, well, <laughs> so this is what happened because I believed it. But then, and she died on July 15th, which is my birthday. And my brother, Steve, he came to visit uh, the community in December before Christmas. And at that time, I was under another superior who was actually a good guy. Mm-hmm. And my, my brother asked, hey, can, can we take him and some of the brothers uh, and sisters for breakfast? So this superior who I was with was like, go have fun, go, go, do, and go do what you need to do, have a good bonding time. So we went to IHOP, my first time going to IHOP in like eight years. Wow. So I'm eating my, uh, what is it? Grand Slam? Is it the Grand- no, that's Denny's, the Grand Slam. Well, I was eating something good. <laughs> uh, well, and I, was I worked eating- at IHOP before. I, I can't remember the menu. But oh, they had, man. yeah, they had something similar. It was like a two, 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 like two eggs. Two, two, two. There you go. So yeah. I, got the, I got the two, two, two. And as I'm enjoying my, my nice dish, my brother kind of like candidly, he asked me, hey, so why didn't you go to the funeral? And, you know, in my mind since July, I've had the, I've had the thought that my family didn't want me to go. Yeah. So when he, when he asked me this, I'm like looking at, looking at him like, are you serious? You're asking me why I didn't go to the funeral? Oh my and he's like, yeah, why didn't she go? And I said, well, because you didn't want me to go. You and the family didn't want me to go. And he's like, Which what is are you... exactly why they isolated you. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, Father Jose, my superior at the time, told me that he called you and the family the next day and that y'all told him it's better if Ryan just stays there you know, it's too expensive. And my brother was like, no, that's not what happened. I I was like, what happened? And my brother told me that Father Jose did call, but he told the family, hey, look, you know, uh, 
Ryan, he's really busy. He's on mission. He's doing so much work right now. And he's like the only person doing it. And he's in the middle of a big assignment. And it's going to be really hard for him to come. So, and so my family, my family had the impression that I had told Father Jose that I didn't want to go because I was too busy doing some other assignments. Mm-hmm. And so he, he fucked with, he fucked with my mind. And then he made my family to believe that I was being a total dick and didn't want to be with the family for the funeral. Oh my gosh. That is absolutely horrible. I have like a lot of words, but they're not good ones. <laughs> what was that? I said I have a lot of words to say to that, but they're not very nice ones. It's okay. I, I mean, I, I, it's it's fucked up. Yeah, it and, is really fucked and, up. And for me, like, because they get mad at me. A lot of the people who listen, they get mad saying, oh, you say too many bad words in your podcast. And my response to that is, you know, if if me saying fuck here, here and there, or like damn mm-hmm. it, or if that upsets you, but, but abuse, not the rest of the stuff. But abuse doesn't upset you or mind mm-hmm. fuckery, then there's something wrong with you. And yeah. you're the one giving me the you're you're giving me a fuck you. Not not literally, but your actions are giving me a total fuck you. So it, it doesn't make sense to me. Oh that yeah. I experienced, that. I experienced that a lot on TikTok, especially when I open up about the forced abortions and um they say things like so what you wanted to have a kid at 12 years old no i I didn't want to be put in a position to become pregnant at 12 years old Mm -hmm. like people just they have one track minds sometimes but you are free to say fuck as much as you want on my podcast (laughs) they have this like someone um it's like a meme that says like people say i say the f-bomb too much what the fuck is the f-bomb yeah I'm sorry. We've spent our lives controlled. We get to do what we want now. It's our lives. It's your podcast, my podcast, you know. Well, well thank you for the in- invitation to drop as many F- F-bombs. F-bombs. <laughs> Not too many. I don't know if it is like a gu- like guideline thing. I don't know. I'll make this an explicit episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so- well, sometimes I, I think in language... It's the best freaking adjective to use. It's the best thing. Sometimes it's like, oh, I was, I was doggone upset. I'm like, no, I mean, it's not gonna, mm-hmm. it's not gonna hit home. And I'm not being real. You know, it's like yeah. I was fucking angry. You know, it's I felt fucking betrayed. I didn't feel a little betrayed. I, I'm not gonna say, oh golly gosh, I felt I felt kind of betrayed, you know. No, I'm gonna say, man, that that motherfucker betrayed me, man. That's you know, say so I, I have to be real yeah exactly and it's sometimes it's i think it's like letting go of repressed Mm -hmm. vocabulary because i i wasn't permitted to say anything i i know and it's like you're not supposed to talk about confession but i get every time i go into confession i'm like i say like a lot of curse words mm -hmm. i'm not sure if it's like exactly a sin or not but i'm sorry i do it but i can't stop Well, well for me i I make a distinguishing a distinguishing thought. You know, there's a difference between, you know, fuck, it's it's been a hard day. And, yeah. you know, fuck you. I hope you go to hell, motherfucker. You know, I think that's 
for me that's cursing and i don't know that's like a totally different (laughs) discussion no i get it (laughs) but But yeah so when my brother told me that that father jose had led my family to believe that i was the one who who didn't want to go that was like the climax in my story because like i woke up like like the truth is that they don't give a shit about me or at at least some do i felt that some really did but the majority of the superiors who were acting like father bing and who wanted to kiss his ass they were being very abusive and they didn't expect anyone to speak up and even after i left after i left the community i went to go visit them and to make peace and when i got there uh some of the bad sisters uh they were like they started yelling at me get out of here like i was some kind of evil person and i got upset i'm like why are you getting mad at me and then the superior she's like you're being an asshole you have no purpose being here i'm like what's wrong with me being here i'm just trying to make peace with y'all and Mm -hmm. she said well you're a next member it's like you're not part of us anymore and so the audacity the audacity gosh i did talk to father bing that day and he told me uh he told me one i should get a job maybe become a nurse or something in the medical field and when i start making money i can start contributing my money to help his mission so it's like he cared more like his advice was for me to make money to help him and to give my money to them and I was still under like, I was still under like the spell of being yeah. under them. So I was kind of like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but all right. And then like the last thing he tells me was this. And just remember, gossiping is a big sin. So if you tell anyone about what happened, you're going to be committing a grave sin that's punishable by like the fires of hell. Oh, and and so that compelled me to remain silent but then and that's why I was silent for a few years and it was just bottling up because other members you know they have to understand the other members that not all of them were kept locked up in a chapel for a freaking year so many are upset and I get it because there is this you know Stockholm syndrome where you see these abusers as you know, maybe they had good intentions, you know, maybe they, they were good people. Yeah. But when you, when you really, when I really broke through that ice and, you know, started examining my, my 11 years there, I had to finally acknowledge that, yeah, shit went there. Shit, shit happened mm-hmm. uh, literally with the fourth degree where some people had to either eat it mm. or they'd, they'd smash it in their face like a mud pie or, or whatever. And then, you know, figuratively, like with me and, you know, with the beatings and then the constant humiliations and the slappings. And although many are mad at me, who cares? This is my truth. Exactly. This is my story. And I'm not going to hold on to hate. And I think for, for me, the healing, the healing process that I've been going through is, you know, there were negatives there, but 
I'm also trying to get some positives and the positive that I'm doing is, Hey, now I'm doing a freaking podcast. Yeah. Help people get be aware that not everyone is whom they might seem to be. It yeah. could be like a priest. It could be a, a counselor. It could be anybody. And I swear, I know it's like, I know there's a lot of controversy. Bleh, that word did not come out the right way. Controversy. I hate big words um around the priest and everything and i mean it is a problem and i think most catholics are willing to admit that but i think it's like at least what i see some people get it twisted and think that it's the catholic faith that turns them that way but i think they joined it because they wanted that power and they knew that that was the place where they could have it if that makes sense it makes sense because like I mentioned earlier, those people have no business being there. Yeah. And so that's why there should be a better screening process. And now from what I know, because the Vatican did get involved mm-hmm. and Father Bing, from what I understand, he kind of fled and is starting to make his own, a whole new movement. But so now the community, like the good ones, they stayed. And what they're trying to do is they're reaching out to ex-members and they're open to like uh, having therapy. And, and that's what I like to hear that they're, they're no longer in this repressive state. Yeah. And, and I spoke to one of the members recently and he told me that when the Vatican came and lifted all of these crazy obediences that were there in, in place from Father Bing's time, like the, you know, no sleeping, you know, they had to wake you up every few hours and you, you had to be Ooh, awake sleep deprivation's the worst hardcore so he's oh. telling me that once they came and like liberated them that he personally felt as if he had been you know freed from this like he felt that he he came out of north korea and was now in south korea yeah and he but he was saying that for like the first like year he felt guilty because he knew that there were other people still with Father Bing who might be in this yeah in this environment. And so part of him wanted to run back the survivor's guilt. Survivor's guilt. Like, I don't deserve sleeping five hours a day or six, seven hours a day. I need to go back to to this punishing mentality mentality. I'm not good enough. You know, it if yeah. I'm or or like that that guilt. It's like if I'm because now because what they would do every day, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all the years that I was there, we had to fast. And so I'm not sure how they're doing it now, but it was like, he was saying, first, we can sleep normal. We can eat normal. We can go to a psychologist. We can visit our family. Uh, All these normal things that people take for granted. Mm -hmm. And now that they were giving it to him, he felt guilty and it's just so crazy how they fuck with, with people's minds. I'm sure what a lot of my listeners are wondering, like, I know you said it kind of snapped you out a little bit when what happened with your, when your brother came to visit, was that kind of like your breaking point when you were like, I got to get out of here? No, actually, well, it, it, it brought the feelings like to the top of my head to the top of my mind but because i had been so heavily brainwashed 
I just kept on ignoring it. And actually, after that, I stuck around for for another, like, I think that was like 2011. And I left in the beginning of, or in the middle of 2015. Oh, wow. But that was like, that was huge because I started to real, that was like the beginning of not realizing, but I guess I feel like my body was, mm-hmm. was, I couldn't ignore my body. And it's like, my body was telling me I have to leave. And so we actually got kicked out of that diocese because our community, like, although it's Catholic, it's, it, it wasn't at that time fully accepted by the church yeah, because of, of shit that they do and cover-ups. And so when, when we got kicked out, I remember they were going to send me to the Philippines and I told them, I told my, one of my superiors, I was like, Hey, look, I've, I fulfilled my vows. I've done my best, but I think it's time for me to, for me to move on and, and go back home and enjoy my life. And, and do do bigger things and he asked me why do you want to go back home I'm like man are you serious I mean like I've been through hell here um I'm locked up I can't do anything like sometimes they would allow me to do mission but that was like it was like once every like three months so mission would be like to just spend time with people you know mm-hmm. so it was like god you you guys like I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to be a freaking missionary, to study, to be a priest. I left in the middle of high school. And I'm already, at that time, I was like 26. I was like, I haven't even finished the high school degree. And like, how the hell am I going to, you know, take philosophy, theology, go to university, become a priest and lead people if nothing is happening here? And the response is, well, you just have to obey so here are your tickets and you're going to the Philippines. And so that's how I went. I went to the Philippines and I got stuck there. And, and there, when I was in the Philippines, I was in just so much darkness, so much confusion. And I asked one of the priests who's another, another jerk. And I asked them, Hey, look, can you give me some help, some guidance? Because I don't know what to do here. And his response was like, don't waste my time. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be a grown man, you know, kind of like lead yourself. Wow. And, but we were in the mountains on the very top of the mountain. There's nobody else. And it's like, well, what the hell? It's like, I have nobody else. So I wrote a letter and I gave it to him. I was like, Hey, look, I hope you have time to read this whenever you can. And pretty much in the letter, I was explaining that I had, I had so much conflict because I do have these vows that I have to obey, but at the same time in the church, in the Catholic church, they give you, it's called temporary vows, Mm -hmm. which means you can be dispensed for any reason. If you don't want to do it, or you feel that it's, it's not for you, you should be free to leave. And so I was like, Hey, I still want to want to follow Christ. I still want to follow God, but I'm having a, a hard time here. Can you give me some guidance? So the next day in the homily, and for those who aren't familiar with the word homily, that's like during the the mass or Mm -hmm. prayer service, the the sermon. So part of his sermon was, there is a person here. Oh, gosh. Who is so gay because and such a sissy. And he's saying this in 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 the Filipino language, but I get it. 
and I'm like listening, like, what? Where's he going with this? Like, There's a sissy guy here who is so weak. He has to write a letter, like a total queer, asking for help. He can't be man enough to to solve his own problems. And so I'm there, just thinking, "Oh my god, he's talking about me." And so that was like that my mind started like spiraling and then a few months later it's like i'm getting beaten beaten with whips for no fucking reason like i act well he told the brothers all right you, the, the obedience of the brothers is to beat me and i'm like why are you gonna beat me for i haven't done anything like i'm used to getting beaten but at this time it's like well why i haven't yeah. done anything and he's like because you've been disobedient i'm like disobedient with what I was like, and his response was, a few months ago, some brothers uh, saw you drinking coffee at McDonald's. And the shitty they, thing wait, is, they have McDonald's on the top of mountains in the Philippines. Well, there's this. Well, I would I would leave the mountain. Oh, to okay. Go, to go get my visa because we had like a a three month visa that I have to okay. renew. So I get money from my family at Western Union. And I wouldn't eat with the community. So sometimes I'd go to McDonald's, but because we have fasting. So like to kind of observe the fasting, I just get either maybe just French fries and a cup of coffee, or I get like French, uh, I get a cup of coffee and maybe an apple pie to make it as plain. And that's, that's all I would eat. Yeah. And I, I remember what, when this, when this priest was mentioning that, that, that people saw me, I remember that they were eating hamburgers, you know, filling their, filling their faces with regular food. And yet I was getting in trouble. So this is the thing with cults is that there is this like spying system. Yeah. So they spied on me and, (sighs) and like months later, it's like, it's getting, it's getting thrown in my face. And I, I when he threw that in my face, it's like, well, what's wrong with that? It's like, I'm not doing anything evil. And he's like, well, don't you love God? Like, aren't you going to, you know, like carry your cross? So there, so now he's like throwing faith into my face. And it's like, if you don't do this, then you must not love Christ. Or you, you must be possessed by the devil or, some, or something like that. And so, so when I got that whipping and I saw the brothers, because they don't want to do it either, but I see them crying. And I just couldn't, I couldn't take it. And from there, that was like my breaking bad moment when yeah. I turned, I turned like for, for them, it's like, I turned bad, but for yeah. me, it's like, I had to escape. So my way of escaping was getting a girlfriend. <laughs> I, I, had, I had, I had no, I mean, I was, I didn't know what else to do. It's like, I, I'm getting, cause I would get, you know, either beaten or shamed and they would say, Oh, like I'm flirting with girls, which wasn't true because I, I didn't talk to anybody or I just say hello. And that was it. And so my thought was, well, if they're kicking my ass already and I haven't done the crime, well, fuck it. You know, might as well do the crime. Do the crime. Yeah. And then when I did the crime and I, I went to the, the main guy, not Father Bing, but the main guy after him, I was like, hey, look, I'm, I'm ready to go. I, I, I had a long, a long run. 10, 11 years, I'm ready to go. 
And he's like, no, I want you to go with me and we can go to Europe. We can do missions. And I was like, dude, I've been here for 10 freaking years. Like what the hell happened to the last 10 years where you had me locked up or the other priest would have me locked up. And now that I want to go home, you want me to be a missionary? I'm like, that's kind of messed up. And he's like, well, it's just a cycle continuing. It's a cycle. He's like, well, I'd really like you to stay here. I'm like, look, I got a, I got a girlfriend, right? And he was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, you got to go. So was this a like, real girlfriend or did you just make it out? No, I, 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 I would like sneak out and go to the college. Mm. And, and one of the teachers there, I, I mean, because I say I, I'm always flirting. So I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flirt. And I didn't mean to seduce her, but I guess I was, I was falling in love. But the thing is, my mind, when you're in a cult, your mind is stuck at that age that you joined in. Yeah. So when I joined, I was like 16. And at this time, although I'm like flirting, I'm like talking to this girl, I was like with the mind of a 16, 17 year old yeah. child in the body of a 20, 27, 28 year old. So it was awkward, but it's like, you know, I, I felt that, hey, this is my only way out. I've asked for help. I've asked for, you know, dispensation of my vows. It's either I'm, it's either I'm possessed or I'm gay, like they say. And it's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to. Did you at any point, like pray to God or to Jesus and ask them, like, is this really what you want for me? Or did they just never let you have that thought cross your mind? Well, I did, I prayed a lot, like, especially when I was stuck in the chapel. And Well, I'm talking about like when you were kind of up and down, if you wanted to leave or not. And like, at any point, did you feel like, okay, well, I'll just pray to God and see what he wants me to do. Well, because earlier I asked, I asked the priest for permission to leave. Yeah. And, but before doing that, I really prayed for strength because even doing that what they do is they label you as being they would call it crisis so if you're in crisis that's already like you're you're being like the way they would explain it is like you're being surrounded by demons so i knew that by even doing this and by admitting that i wanted to leave that i was going to get humiliations and so but my i guess where i I didn't follow through was I didn't stick to uh, I I didn't stick up for what I believed in yeah because I respected them so much and I think that's called I don't know is that fawning would that be considered fawning where you respect the other person I think so it's a new word that I've just come across I haven't really looked into it it's like a people pleasing yeah I I didn't want to hurt their feelings because like I'm just so divided at this time. It's like, yes, I pray. And in my prayer, I feel like I should leave. But then these people, the way they would brainwash us or Father Bing would brainwash us is that is that yeah. they have... I did just look it up and it says, fawning is a trauma response where a person develops people-pleasing behaviors to avoid conflict and to establish a sense of safety in other words, the fawn trauma response is a type of coping mechanism that survivors of complex trauma adopt to appease their abusers. 
so that's what I was hoping that okay you know if I if I just do this if I just stay longer you know maybe they'll because they never respected me I joined at 16 17 and other members are like 21 22 um and so I always felt that they wanted to keep me in this submissive infantile state. state yeah and then now I'm probably their biggest enemy and they had every fucking chance to do the right thing. Like it, once I, you know, go back in the timeline, there were so many chances for them to choose good. Yeah. So, but they always manipulated, you know, the gospel, they manipulated um, my faith and yeah. they abused it. And so now I'm doing a podcast, not to really spew hate, but I, I want people to understand that what they went through, or even for myself, what I went through wasn't my fault. And yeah. that, because part of me was like, well, why did God do this? And so the way I'm seeing it was, I have free will. They have free will. Every mm-hmm. motherfucker has free will to do good or bad. And because they chose to do bad, I'm not going to let that push me away from making good decisions because it did push me away from making good decisions but i don't want them to control that anymore so now Mm -hmm. i'm i'm making the choices to do good yeah and i know like from a different aspect like when i was going to support groups uh for domestic violence because when i first escaped that's what i thought i was dealing with was just domestic violence but a lot of the women that came in, it was, it was really weird. We all did it was like, for me, I always had to be platinum blonde, like always had to be platinum blonde. So the day that I got out, I dyed my hair black. Like you can't get less platinum blonde than that. And there was another woman who was never allowed to wear open toe shoes. So the day she escaped, she went out and bought a pair of flip flops. (laughs) And it was just like, one of the groups that it, like that's all we talked about the entire group was like all the stuff that we were like wait and like we never realized that that's what we were doing was rebelling you know but it's like I know for me after I escaped like I, I knew it wasn't my fault but I still felt like I held a bit of responsibility because I stayed for so long and I know in my healing process, I had to let go of that and realize I don't hold any responsibility. And I'm sure that's the same for you, like trying to overcome that. Like, it's really hard because I get asked all the time, like, why did you stay? Why didn't you leave when you were 18? And it's like, I feel stupid saying, well, it was my parents. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know any better. Like, it was normal, but it's like people really don't understand how they make it normal for you and that the isolation and the mind games does that and yeah a lot of people ask me why didn't you leave earlier and it's it's so similar even though our stories are worlds apart but there's like so many similarities in it where i couldn't leave because if i'm leaving if i leave it's like they win that was my that was how i saw it if i leave they win because they would say, oh, you're, if you leave, it's because you're not strong enough. 
or because you know you're you don't you don't have enough faith and so it's just a mind game yeah and it does take years to untangle but Mm -hmm. it, it is possible and now i see faith before the way they they taught me about the cross was that you have to inflict pain like suffering but now it's like now that i go back to my catholic roots i see where they really change stuff and even in my podcast it's not a it's not a catholic podcast per se but i'm trying to be as christ-like as i can be because i am i am catholic and i i do love my faith but i'm trying to to practice my faith by listening to people by being kind compassionate because those are things that they didn't do to me yeah you know show kindness compassion love and i think that anyone no matter if they're catholic or atheist or buddhist can practice those things of kindness goodness do you find it hard to stay faithful because i know a lot of people like i have my cross and i have a rosary tattoo and a lot of people are always asking like how can you still believe there's a god and i know for me the way i see it is he wasn't letting it happen to me, but he was helping me get through it and helping me survive. And my faith has been very big in my healing process, but I, how does like, does it play a part in your healing process? Like, how do you stay faithful after dealing with such psychopaths? Well, my dad, he passed away last year. Oh, God, but, I'm so sorry. Thank you. But when I left the community, um what what we would do together is he would take me to church and just I'd sit in the back and he'd be wherever and he wouldn't say anything but it it felt it felt healing to know that even though he was sitting somewhere else in the church that that we were still praying together kind of thing yeah and so that kind of kept my faith because when every other person you know, from the community, they left me, you know, my family, they Mm -hmm. prayed with me. And, and it wasn't like that, you know, like that, uh, you know, um, like super charismatic where, you know, they're, you know, singing and and it was more just, Hey, you know, you're welcome to pray. And if not, if you don't want to come, then no problem. And it wasn't like, you have to pray. It was just. So it was seeing your family give you a choice that kind of helped yeah now that i'm thinking about it yeah they gave me that choice where hey it's up to you if you want to join us and Um, at least i have a supportive family to go back to i wouldn't always join them and sometimes i could tell they're they were upset but they didn't throw it in my face because they knew that i was healing so which kind of explains why they didn't want you to have contact with your family because then you would see how it really was yeah yeah because I mean that was I mean most of like my actual friends friends I guess when I was younger were all trafficking victims and it was I was very isolated from everyone else because I wasn't allowed to see what normal was and even at school I legit I thought all the kids there did the same things that I did and I thought everyone had cages in their basement and if a kid was absent I never thought oh this kid has a cold I was like oh they didn't do good last night 
it's yeah. it's insane how much they can get into your heads well it becomes your reality exactly and for and you you were so young oh yeah I was groomed right from the start I still don't like everyone is always asking like how did you survive I'm like I don't know I just did there was something like I always felt something inside of me always fighting it but it took a while to figure out what that thing actually was but um before we wrap things up um I wanted to ask, because um, like I said, I do have a lot of listeners that are cult survivors, religious abuse survivors. If you had any advice to give to them about whether it's healing or moving forward with their lives or any type of advice, what would you give? Uh, well, one, if if you're still in the cult and you're listening, then I applaud you for your bravery because like, when you're in a cult, or at least in my cult, there was no access to radios, uh, internet, none of that stuff. So if you're listening and you are in the cult, I think you're, you're open to, to the truth. And just keep, keep searching for the truth. And I pray that you'll find it. But I think I want to talk more to the family members of those who have a loved one in the cult or in a high controlling religious community Uh, because my family yeah we had our rocky moments but they would always reach out to me over the years even when they thought that I had dissed my grandma's funeral Mm -hmm. my brother still wanted to come visit me over the years and and so what I implore family members to do is to don't give up on your loved ones who may be stuck there. And it's because of my family and their kindness. And I saw that love that they had for me. I think that's what gave me hope to survive this healing journey. And now I am, now here I am doing a podcast, being a whistleblower and helping other people to get out of this situ- this shitty situation. That's awesome. I know you've done a recording with another one of my friends and going to do on my other friends podcast. And I'm like calling everyone I know. I'm like, Hey, I got this guy who would be great for your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so happy. I don't even like remember how I started following you on Twitter. I really don't. I just remember seeing a post one day that you posted about your podcast and I'm like, I'm going to like it. And then here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how social media works. Um, yeah. It, it, Connects but it, people it, from all over the world. I have friends in Australia and I didn't even know it until like I tried to call them and I'm like, wait, I can't. That's, that's a country code. I don't have on my plan. <laughs> well, you, you gotta go. I mean, Hey, I I'm planning on going hopefully next year. We gotta go. We gotta do some kind of, um, I don't know podcast festival or something yeah i was thinking about it i just i don't know maybe (laughs) i want to go to israel i've been dying to go i was supposed to go for my 40th birthday with my friend that was israeli and uh he passed away so Mm. i think that's the next big trip i'm gonna take is to israel but so so hopefully we get some sponsors (laughs) (laughs) yeah right (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so honored that you came to share your story. And I mean, it's just an, it's insane what you went through. And it's, you know, it's just like a constant reminder that everybody's trauma is, it's all the same. Nobody has it worse. Nobody has it better than the other person, you know, and there's so many way too many similarities to one-up people like some like to do and say oh you've had it so much worse or I've had it so much worse but I'm very thankful that you came on and trusted me with your story and I, I hope it helps a lot of people I know it didn't really tap into SRA too much but I don't know I think it'll help a lot of people so keep doing you you're awesome and, and thank you so much because, you know, you have a platform where you're telling your story and you're telling the world, you know, how these things happened. Yeah. And it just opens people's minds mm-hmm. to the reality that, hey, life isn't always going to be um, perfection. Exactly. But and yet I- you're you're still doing something good you're making a yeah. good choice and I love the advice that you gave at the end because I actually have a lot of listeners whose families are still in cults and they're constantly asking my advice and I'm just like I don't really know what to say but it is you know never give up because it's you know the person has to be ready to leave I mean I think I needed to be ready or I would have gone back but I had some friends that never gave up and my husband I mean he deals with all my crazy I don't know how we celebrate 10 months or 10 years this month and I'm just like congratulations thank you I I feel bad for the guy for being married (laughs) to me for so long (laughs) I keep telling him like I'm like, stop letting me manipulate you into buying me turtles. <laughs> I have enough. <laughs> one more, one more turtle. But it's like, well, that's the thing. If I get another turtle, then I need another tank. And then I have room for three more. Like I can put four in a tank. So if I get one more, then I have, I'll get four more. <laughs> so I told the pet store, I'm not allowed to buy turtles unless my husband's with me. So. <laughs> But thank you so much for coming on. And I want to thank everybody for listening and being as wonderful to Ryan as you are to me. And again, as always, I want to thank you for all your continued love and support. And I will talk with you all soon. Have a good one.